You went online to switch your car insurance to Progressive so you could save money. But then you saw a friend request from an old summer camp buddy. And now here you are, clicking through photos of his kickball team from 2011. Oh, looks like they won the championship that year. Then he moved to Tulsa. Oh, a new tattoo. Yes, they said it was easy to save hundreds on car insurance with Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates National Average Savings by new customer surveyed who saved in 2019. You're listening to a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HD Smartcast. Welcome back to another episode of Books and Authors with Ira Mukoti, author of Akbar, the Great Mughal. In our last conversation, we spoke about Akbar's fearlessness and his slow transformation into one of the greatest emperors in history. So, Ira, over to you. So this fiction, you know, uh, was there from, uh, you know, maybe the late uh, 1590s and you can sense it uh, very strongly. Not only that, uh, he also started wooing some of the young artists of the ateliers, you know, of of Akbar's ateliers. Mm. And this was something that I found very fascinating. And I think we haven't, uh, you know, people haven't maybe gone into this into as much depth as it is possible to go to that these, the, the son and the father and the son, Akbar and Selim sort of fought a war through through the patronage of painters, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a king, you had many symbols. So you had your uh, Jaroka Darshan, you know, you had your palaces, but you also had great artists. Mm-hmm. That was part of your power and your symbol as a king. So mm-hmm. if you were able to lure away uh, a very, uh, you know, uh, important artist like Akbar in his youth, lured Tansen to his court. Mm-hmm. So if Salim was able to get these young artists who had actually grown up with him, you know, in Lahore, and he made them come over with him to Allahabad, where he was setting up almost a counter court to Akbar's, mm. then this was, a, you know, a, a tussle of uh, painters almost in a way between Akbar and Salim, which I found very fascinating yeah. following the careers of these painters, yeah. uh, you know, and going from one court to the other. And I wonder what they made of this. <laughs> I think uh, when they were very young, especially mm. um, when they were, let us perhaps, you know, like young children are perhaps more malleable and, uh, you know, yeah. less disobedient, less likely to challenge you. He was extremely mm. fond. Uh, you would not even expect a king to be like that. He would pull them onto his knees, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in open darbar. He would, especially the younger ones, he would, uh, they were supposed to, to to stand in order of age and he would just pull the younger ones onto his knees. Uh, he lavished personal care and affection on them, you know, mm. which was again, not always so current yeah. uh, he made sure of what they were being taught the education you know, everything. one of his daughters as well right yes now that is extremely interesting to me as well mm. is that uh, when his daughters were, were born Abu al-Fazl makes it a point his biographer of noting mm. that, uh, that the Pacha has ordered that the celebrations should be as grand as those for the birth of a son mm. now for me when even today we are talking about Beti Parao Beti uh, you know Bachao sort of yes. slogan yeah in the 21st century we're having to do this Mm. Akbar in the 16th century was making sure his daughters were educated and that they were celebrated with the same love and grandeur as his sons you know so Mm. so to me that's that's really an extraordinary thing for him to have done Mm. Um, and uh, not only that in many ways through his life you know uh, he is extremely sensitive to the cause of women Uh, and it's you know odd to think we do not think of him maybe sometimes in these terms but he was very sensitive to them, both under, Hin- in, under Hinduism and Islam. So in Hinduism, where 
earlier he used to be quite admiring of this uh, of the uh, the tradition of sati he thought it showed a woman's great love for her husband but mm-hmm. when he became uh, you know when he saw the reality of it that they were sometimes forced like his own courtiers sometimes were doing that to their daughters or they were you know yeah. uh, he was aghast at this you know and he tried to stop it uh, without interfering in the religion so he used to try and discourage it and uh, under islam uh, because the women were uh, uh, you know not favored according to laws of inheritance he mm-hmm. used to really rail against that and say why should the why should the girls suffer at the hands of brothers or nephews uh, why shouldn't it be equal for everybody so you know it was very unusual for a 16th century monarch to sort of be so aware of the vulnerability of women in his time and to actively try and counter that uh, which is what he did even through the celebrations of the dots the, the births of his daughters i feel hmm. and i also find very fascinating the section on on that sadar the uh, the religious leader you know who yeah. who um, insults him uh, yes you know that sort of thing and the picture you draw of this character <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think Badawni says that he used to spit on other courtiers. Yeah. I mean, what a what a man! <laughs> I think uh, you know they had uh, the ulema and the head of the ulema, like the sadar, uh, because we must remember that in the beginning, Akbar was was uh, you know quite uh, enthralled to them, you know, and he was quite an orthodox Sunni person at the beginning of his career. Mm. Uh, it was an evolution of his uh, to 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 reach the stage where he did. So mm. initially, he gave them. Uh, a lot of respect and he would bring their chappals to them they he would carry their shoes for them you know so he would do all the outward show of uh, respect that was due to these men and of course when you have that being done to you uh, because uh, these uh, these particular uh, you know ulema were not uh, extremely uh, you know philosophically advanced mm-hmm. perhaps uh, you they were know, not intellectuals intellectuals you know mm-hmm. they were they were figureheads so mm-hmm. they it sort of went to their heads and they they behaved in a very abrasive and arrogant manner which of course <laughs> in the end uh, brought them down but it's shocking to think of akbar being treated in this way <laughs> yeah, that section I stopped and read it twice because this man yeah. throwing chappals at him. Chappal. <laughs> <laughs> How can you do that to an emperor? And exactly, exactly. And then Akbar, I think, goes to his mother Hamida Banu to complain, you know, yes. and says, "Look at what he's done to me." And he has, he has to sort of, you know, calm him down and say, "It's okay. He's the head of the, you know, congregation." And uh, forget but about that guy. It. Stepped too far by he, also. He, doing the other things spitting on people and yes very yes <laughs> yes <laughs> okay so those bits also made me laugh but yeah. this thing about you know um his uh, his quest for the truth yeah. as it were yeah. you know that's yeah. very interesting and that's one of the fascinating things about akbar right you know when he realized i mean he was uh, ruling a very diverse country um there were people of many sects many religions and when he started these discussions in the ibadat khana they were purely for the sunni theologians mm-hmm. and he realized that these were not great uh, you know uh, intellectually advanced people they made uh, you know quite petty uh, you know arguments and he was horrified i mean the you know all the accounts say that he himself was horrified at the tenor of these conversations how they became petty and uh, insulting to each other mm. and then he started calling the shias and then the other religion so the, the I think that it is a you know, he was being pragmatic in a certain way but he was also I think sincerely looking for a way to rule a diverse nation mm-hmm. uh you know in a just manner and he thought that one way after listening to all these uh, religious discussions and his sort of conclusion was that there is truth in all religions 
which is still a radical idea right for many people which is a absolutely radical idea you know and he uh, he translates that into a, a sort of uh, ethical uh, you know ideology for kings saying that it is that therefore if everybody is equal mm-hmm. you can neither punish the so called dhimis the non believers so you cannot have jizya or any such tax on them mm-hmm. you cannot punish them nor should you unnecessarily promote somebody because of their religion so everybody is equal before the law which is really a startling thing so he even wrote to for example his neighbor shah abbas of persia saying god has made kings for the discipline and guardianship of all mankind so that they may watch over the honor and reputation of every class you know so these are pretty startling things for for someone to say in the 16th century and what shabbas may have made of this one only wonders <laughs> but you know he and he he did not just leave this at the level of you know very uh, you know uh, high fluting philosophical discussions he actually uh, you know took steps to uh, to ensure that this came about in practical terms mm-hmm. so because he understood that often misunderstandings occur because you do not understand each other mm-hmm. you know the hindu does not understand the muslim the muslim doesn't understand the christian and so on and so forth and then he brought about uh, in the translation bureau he brought about the translations of all these uh, you know amazing sanskrit uh, text the ramayana the, the mahabharata and many other texts into persian with the express purpose of doing away with misunderstanding so that people would not uh, war over things like petty superstitions and misunderstanding so that there would be this state of what is active what harbans mukhya for example has said is active tolerance it's not mm. just like a passive tolerance like i will let you allow you to uh, you know have your religion it is an active state of understanding of love and harmony uh, which is a, you know and uh, which is something which you must endeavor to do which mm-hmm. is which you are not just tolerating mm-hmm. um, and so he he brought about these translations uh, of these documents and also his mansabdari system reflected this attitude so that where uh, where in the beginning there was a preponderance of timurid uh, you know um, uh, courtiers mm-hmm. now by the end of his reign he had brought in persians he had brought in sheikhzadas indian muslims he brought in rajput so that the power was equally distributed mm-hmm. amongst all these clans and no one clan could show that they were dominant over the others okay so maybe his understanding of religion also you make that point but his wives kind of his rajput wives opening him out to different beliefs to a different belief system Right. Well, yes, I think uh, you know, considering how young he was when he first married Harkabai, around twenty, and that she, uh, you know, the system of the Rajputs, where she would not just go on her own, she would go with her entourage. Mm. She was allowed to keep her religion, so she had her priests, she had her dancers, she had her singers, she had her cooks, she had her masseuse. This entire microcosm of Rajput life entered the harem. Um, so I find, and and then many other Rajput wives as well. So I find it uh, difficult to imagine that this would not have had. an effect on on uh, akbar when you start to see that almost immediately after this he starts making changes he uh, does away with the pilgrimage tax for example uh, the pilgrimage tax to mathura which is a very important center for the rajputs as well you know and he starts patronizing the temples a lot of the women patronize the temples and the priests you start seeing these changes in his diet you see changes in the fasts he starts keeping um and uh, you know eventually prohibiting beef and ganga jal all these 
things. Uh, now we may see other uh, origins. Some scholars have said it is the Sufi tradition, it is the Jains perhaps, which I am not uh, saying it is not. But we cannot mm-hmm. disregard the fact that these young women came into the harem when Akbar was so young and they must have also had an equally you know, strong influence in the shaping of his uh, religious sensibilities. Mm-hmm. Okay. So go and get this fascinating book on Akbar by Ira Mukoti, and it's um, uh, uh, you know it's very relevant to our times today as well. You know he was one of the great Mughals, and um, a lot of the ideas that uh, that troubled him and fascinated him continue to continue to um, sort of engage Indians today, right? So yes, which is absolutely yeah, which is why more than ever, more yes. than ever, more than ever. <laughs> So that's why it's uh, well worth reading this book. So great, Ira. Nice talking to you. Thank you, Manjula. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay. Bye. 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 If you have any questions or suggestions, you can get in touch with me on email. My mail ID is manjula.narayan at htlive.com. That's M-A-N-J-U-L-A dot N-A-R-A-Y-A-N at htlive.com. L-I-V-E dot com. You can also follow me on Twitter. I'm at Utterfly, U-T-T-E-R-F-L-E-A. You can reach out to the HT podcast team at HT Smartcast on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. And to listen to more great podcasts like this one, log on to www.htsmartcast.com. This was a Hindustan Times production brought to you by HT Smartcast. HD Smartcast